Hey, everybody, before we get into the show, we have a major earth-shattering massive announcement. Nikki? Yes, it is that time again, Pete Wright. Our monthly planning membership is open for enrollment. GPS stands for Guided Planning Sessions, if you don't know already. We've worked really hard here at Take Control ADHD to provide you with a service that not only gives you ideas and strategies on how to plan your day and your week, but it also provides time and space for you to do the work and not just by yourself, but with others who understand and support you. We meet every Monday and Thursday, and there are three different sessions for each day that you're invited to attend. We are dedicated to making this membership to be one that is transformative in the way you think about planning and taking control of your time and schedule. There are so many benefits to the GPS membership, so please be sure to visit our website at takecontroladhd.com slash GPS. Enrollment is open now through May 8th. Thank you for your time and attention, and I hope to see you soon. On with the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Taking Control, the ADHD podcast on True Story FM. I'm Pete Wright, and I'm here with Nikki Kinzer. Hello, Pete Wright. Hello, everyone. Uh, it is a beautiful day. The sun is shining. The weight of the world is light upon our shoulders. How do we How do we feel about that? Good? Well, your sun might be shining, but mine is very cloudy. <laughs> oh, no. We're only a little ways apart. That's not I right. I know. I know. Oh, well. I don't know what that's all about but well yeah I'll... things are good though they're still very very good sun or not doesn't oh, matter so good <laughs> things are good and we have a fantastic guest on the show today we are talking all about uh productivity the productivity spiral uh, and i cannot wait to introduce you to her but before we do that head over to take control adhd.com get to know us a little bit better you can listen to the show right there on the website or subscribe to our mailing list and we'll send you an email each time a new episode is released you can connect with us on twitter or Facebook at Take Control ADHD. And if this show has ever touched you or helped you make a change in your life for the better, we'd appreciate it if you'd consider visiting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash the ADHD podcast. This is listener supported podcasting. For a few dollars each month, you can get access to early episodes of the show. You can join us for a live stream recording and Q&A with our guests. Uh, and uh, of course, you help support the growing initiatives of the ADHD podcast, like, for example, transcripts. All of that comes to you thanks to supporters at patreon.com slash the ADHD podcast. We hope to see you there. Dr. Marilyn Paul is a coach and organizational change consultant. I uh, spent some time reading her one of her books uh, that really touched me, and I found this in her introduction, and I have to read it as a mostly as a celebration of words. She says, I help people work together, and lately I've been helping teams and organizations work through the pernicious costs of chronic work overload. Ugh. My goodness. I have to say, Pete, that is right up your alley Ugh. with the pernicious. Oh, come word. on. I People don't even who, know what that means. She, this, <laughs> she wields language like a scimitar. She People. does. This, yes. I love it. Uh, the mechanics of just how Dr. Paul manages to help uh, others break this cycle and remain productive and shame free. 
Question mark, question mark. That's what we're all mm. about today. Dr. Marilyn Paul, welcome to the ADHD podcast. It is so great to Thank be you here for with being both here. Of you. It's, it's a pleasure. It's an honor. This is from An Oasis in Time uh, How a Day of Rest Can Save Your Life uh, by the good Marilyn Paul. And uh, I want to start with this bit of the book because I think it sets the stage well for our conversation, the conversation that we'd like to have. Uh, in, in this passage, you're talking about Alan, who is a physician who has just gone through and described a pretty horrific average day. And, and this is your reflection on that. Alan is just one of millions of people struggling to keep up with a culture avid for productivity. The American Institute of Stress reports that job pressures are far and away the major source of tension for Americans. Job stress costs an estimated $300 billion, yes, that's billion, not million, a year in absenteeism, turnover, diminished productivity, and medical, legal, and insurance costs. Ironically, ongoing stress ultimately causes people to work far less productively, thus requiring more time on the job to complete the same amount of work. Why do people put up with the stress? When people believe that their value comes from their accomplishments, it is especially hard to stop striving for those accomplishments. Now, our conversation today, that, that hits me like right in the chest. There's a giant weight that sits on my chest with that. Uh, the, the nut of our conversation today, I, I would really like to, to start by talking about the application of this, the cultural addiction to productivity. And how that gets knotted up with ADHD, that we believe there we have to be, and we keep getting, it's a, it's a never-ending, inescapable spiral of shame because we can't be productive enough for cultural expectations. What do you think about that? Well, I partly wrote this book because I lived it. I had gotten into a cycle where I woke up and started working, worked as hard as I could until I went to sleep. I did not believe in breaks, and I just wanted to get a lot done. That was the years of working on my PhD, and that was Yale, where everyone has accomplished so much, and I always had the feeling of not doing enough. Living every day with the feeling of working as hard as I could and never doing enough. Mm-hmm. Which is so uh, common with so many of the clients that I work with on a daily basis. That's exactly how they feel. And so they, the, I, I don't know if, if you did this, but I know that they will often feel like they have to make up whatever work they didn't feel like they got done during the day. So they're bringing that home. They're working on the weekends. Sometimes they do it. Sometimes they don't. And then there's that shame again that they just keep feeling. How do we stop? Or, or think differently about this addiction to productivity almost. Like, I don't know if it's an addiction, but it sure feels like it. I think it's very helpful to start with where our culture is and really understand that there is a difference between valuing accomplishment and valuing nonstop action. Like, let me try to make that clear. We believe without a doubt that doing more gets more done. Sounds sure. logical, right? The problem is the more we do of the things that are not our priority, that are not done with focus and energy, that are not done with excellence, we actually pile up actions 
that don't help us accomplish our goals. So we're doing a lot, and yet we can get to the end of the day and feel that we haven't done anything. And it's a pattern. So part of what I've studied is both the culture at large, where we really love to tell each other that we're busy, that we're working hard. We love to tell each other about our accomplishments. Okay, we understand that. But we've lost a lot of the art of living well, which includes eating well, taking good walks, being with our families in loving ways and our neighbors and our friends. So mostly what we want to do and what I have wanted to do is just check off the list. If I check enough things off the list, I will feel good, but I never check enough things off the list. That's sort of what we're struggling with. Well, and here we are in this pandemic, right? The The entire world has changed around us. And people, uh, what we're hearing is, is, you know, after a brief sort of respite of, oh my gosh, the world has changed. I'm going to be understanding with myself. It seems like people are now starting to set standards higher, like even higher than what they can achieve or or should be trying to achieve more than they were ever trying to do before because busyness is a badge of honor. It's the red badge of courage. I suffer for my greatness, right? Because I'm so busy. They aren't giving themselves or anybody else a whole lot of grace. Or certainly, I would say, they give others a lot of grace, certainly more grace than they would give themselves. So I think this is the heart of it. One is we did not learn how to work. So one thing I talk about in my book, as you know, is this idea of a rhythm of action and rest. It's natural to push hard and then to rest. But we don't know how to rest. Our idea of rest is maybe checking our Twitter feed or checking the news. That's not rest. And so the idea of going to we're exhausted and then flopping down and turning on Netflix does not help us establish a base of energy and focus and even calm. I'm not a calm person by nature, but it's much easier to work with good focus and energy. And since I have ADD, I tend to create situations that give me a certain sense of panic and crisis because I like that stimulation. And, and so a lot of what I have to work with is resting regularly, toning down the crises, getting prepared for action, and then taking very specific, concrete actions for 15, 20, 30 minutes. And then key to all of this is celebrating whatever I did. As small as it is, it deserves notice. And that's what helps with feeling productive rather than the habit that I had for a long time, which was that wasn't enough. I didn't do it well enough. I'm going to have to work harder. I did something good. That's great. Can we talk then briefly just about the uh, connection uh, between uh, stopping to celebrate and and resting right. and being able to ultimately get more done better, right? Because I think that's the myth, right? We think if we oh. stop working, then we won't get enough done. 
But that's not the case you're making. So my book actually is about the idea that we can stop for a day a week, unheard of. I know that's crazy, but I do that. And millions of people take some kind of a Sabbath. The word Sabbath or Shabbat means stop. That's all it means. You go for six days and you stop for one day. Now, stopping, because of the religious heritage, often sounds terrible to people. I have to go suffer in synagogue or church. But what the original framers of this, it's actually one of the Ten Commandments, is remember to stop. I'm starting there because it gives us a way of thinking about action. We work hard for six days, we stop for a seventh day, and we remember on that day that there is much more to life than work. Now, we can take that idea and bring it into our regular day. We work hard and we pause to relax. One of the things that neuroscientists are finding is that tension worry actually lives in our body. When it lives in our body, it makes it harder to think. What happens is our mind spins. When our mind is spinning, we can't focus. That's why there's so much instruction right now. Long breath out, breathe in. The reason is we can stop the spinning in our mind We can focus on what's important. It's a mini rest. Now, when I tell people I take a day off each week, they say, I could never do that. I have too much to do. And I tell them there's a secret formula. And here it is. Seven minus one equals eight. That's new math, Marilyn. That's totally new math. (laughs) Seven minus one, if you take a whole day off every week, you actually get more energy, you remember what's important, and your mind calms down. So all those things that I thought, I can't stop now, it's Friday evening, I'm going to work through the weekend and catch up, but I have a habit now, I stop and turn off my phone and computer. And the amazing thing is, After 24 hours, all of that stuff that was plaguing me and anxiety and trying to get back to these little details, everything goes into perspective. I'm more creative, I'm more focused, and I have much more energy. You you were talking before about the shame of not keeping up. And in some ways, I think it's shame that keeps us locked in this cycle of I try to get more done. Then I'm worried. I'm up all night. Maybe I take Ambien. Maybe I take melatonin. I wake up. I feel awful. When I feel awful and I'm pushing myself hard, I really do not know anymore what is most important. And I think even there, there's a bit of shame. Like, how come I can't focus? What's wrong with me? How come I can't do what's important? okay, I give up. I'll check Facebook just to give myself a break. Then I overdo it on Facebook. And here we are in that horrible, vicious cycle. 
I have a friend who said to me once, he said, I'm exhausted. And he said, I don't think I'm depressed, but I do find myself fantasizing about the day I die because I'm finally going to get a rest. Those sorts of non-suicidal death fantasies seem to be something that we should try to address. (laughs) Those are not things we should have to live with. We we do say things yeah. like I'll rest when I'm dead. Yeah, right? but that again, yeah, that's that mad and honor. I'm suffering yeah. right now for greatness somehow, yeah. and and that's you know, mm-hmm. I, I I wonder because you the way you frame this, you're talking about like taking a day off, but you know, culturally, shouldn't we already be do you doing better with our weekends? Like, there's two days off that are ostensibly built in. Right, right. Good point. I think what happens to people is they turn their recreation or their household chores into another long to-do list. So I have a friend, for example, who's a potter and her pottery was meant to be creative, artistic, relaxing, but she turned it into first I'll go do errands. Then I'm going to go to the grocery store, get my shopping done. I'm going to run into my pottery class, do some pottery, get out, go pick my kids up at sports, the sports events, and the pottery just gets shoved in there with everything else. That's one long checkoff list. Mm -hmm. I think that's, Mm -hmm. that is really important right there. Well, and I just want to say from, from my experience with my clients, there's just as much shame on the weekends as there are, as they feel in the week, right? Because if they don't get it done on Saturday, then they feel like they have to do it on Sunday. And if they don't do it on Sunday, they, and so it really blurs. It really doesn't matter if it's work or home. Um, They have that pressure. One thing I want to circle back to about the celebration when you were saying, uh, you know, make sure that we're celebrating what we did in that 15 minutes, 20 minutes, however long you, you do it for. What I find with my clients is that they sometimes, well, I don't say sometimes, I'd say a lot of time, they avoid what they think they need to be doing. They avoid that priority. And so they end up working on other stuff that kind of interests them, right? It's the ADHD mind doing its thing. And uh, and then they feel bad that they didn't work on the top priority. And so I can see somebody saying, well, I can't celebrate that because I didn't work on what I was supposed to be working on. I I cleaned the refrigerator instead of working on that paper that I've been avoiding for you know, two weeks. So what do, what do you say? How do you deal with, with that type of mindset? Really? I mean, I love that. I love what you're saying. And first of all, I want to say something about getting to those hard things that we're avoiding, whether it's writing that paper that we're supposed to write or do the taxes or finish a PR report, whatever it is, we all have something we're avoiding. And I think you're very wise to point out that we feel since we're not doing the most important thing, we don't get to celebrate anything. So number one is the idea of tackling something hard with support for 15 minutes. And then I do have people, because I also coach people with ADD, and they say, well, (laughs) I can't get anything done in 15 minutes. Oh, yes, you can. Oh, yes, you can. (laughs) And if you do 15 minutes on the hard thing twice or three times a day, 
and you do that hard thing, eat that frog, as we talk about, yeah. every five days a week, you will make amazing progress. But it's also getting support, non-shaming mm-hmm. support. Mm-hmm. So I work with my co-working buddies. I checked in with my friend Lee this morning to help me make my to-do list, make my next three things list, which is something I work with all the time because I'm so easily distracted. So with support, we set 15 minutes on the hard thing and we celebrate that. But let's just say we can't. We're in procrastination mode. Anything that we do when we set a goal with our ADD mind and accomplish that deserves something like, yes, I did it. That's right. And if we can get used to that, our whole system understands that if you really look at your life, you are getting a lot done. Mm -hmm. I feel like this is all of this is great. And again, I'm with you. I live with ADHD. And this is like, it's right again, right here. My question is, and I'd like to to have you reflect both on the individual level and on the organizational level, because a lot of our, our people work on teams, big and small, and they recognize that it's that this identity of living with an addiction to productivity doesn't just happen to them. Their team, their company has that that addiction. So my big question for you is, how do you begin to crack that that sort of personality? Right. How do you crack that identity and get people to start? to make change there's a there the the team issue is very big and i've worked with a number of teams where honestly they do this badge of honor thing with each other it teams i'm up at five i do my long run i arrive at the office at 7 30 i'm there till nine or ten at night and i'm working all the time the first thing is when people actually start to realize either they're not accomplishing their goals. We were called into one team where they had this incredible work ethic, but there were lots of bugs in their programs. And so what we learned from speaking with them is they were working very hard and very fast, but they were not communicating well. And They had a lot of redos. They had to rework so much that even they thought, oh, we're so productive because we're getting so much done. The rework was enormous. So the first thing is, I hate to say this to people on teams, but the pain has to be great enough to be willing to step back and say a few things. Number one, In our work culture, we think working all the time is the way to be productive. And it's simply not true. Every team, everyone needs breaks, needs that breath, needs that relaxation, and needs their weekends off. I'm sorry to say that to some people who might be listening to this, but people need a break so they can do their best work. So that's that's where it starts, where people start to realize that the next thing is what I have found in working with people 
is there are always people with or without ADD who can work these long hours. There's always someone around who can only needs four hours of sleep, can get their 10 mile run in and show up fresh. And if they have kids, they don't see their kids that much and that's okay with them or their partner or community takes over. So there's always someone we can compare ourselves with, but we have to know our own strengths and weaknesses and we have to know how we get work done with others so that those bionic people, and they are out there, are not the measure of our success. And our job is to know that there are people out there like that and to forgive ourselves. Really, there have been so many times where I've had to say, I am not that one, but I bring different gifts. I have different skills and I want to develop the strengths that I have to offer that each of us are blessed with. Let's develop those strengths with our downtime, with our skillful naming what we need to do next. Let's do that. I find as I get older, and I'm saying this not as a coach because I'm not a coach, but as I get older, uh, I I look at those bionic people and I'm I'm a little more judgy. I'm more judgy. And I look at them and I think, oh, that's poisonous. And that I feel like is growth, right? That I am recognizing what I don't want to be. I used to aspire to that. I used to think maybe I'm a guy who could do, who could live that kind of life. And I cannot. I cannot. I definitely have my own poisons that I'm still dealing with and living with and adjusting to. But it's not that anymore. My aspiration is, uh, you know, being able to to live life well and practice that, as you say. And and mm-hmm. yeah, you know, what's interesting, Pete and, and Marilyn, is that when I was when I first got into the workforce, I was the opposite. Like, I love my vacation. I love my time off. And I would do new employee orientations when I was in HR. And I would tell them, you know, you get this much time off. Take it enjoy it. And but then as I got older, I started feeling more guilty about that now. And I I don't know, Marilyn, where does that well, come from? Too, like, from, a, from a perspective of, of HR, so right? Strange. Like your job is to protect the valued interests of the company. And I imagine you were an island in telling people to take their time off at that point in time, right? Like, But I really there believed is, there... it too, though. Like... Oh, no, I know. I'm saying, yeah, no. <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that was just something... It could be, I mean, just something that was inside of me because my parents always took vacation. I mean, there's probably a lot of like backstory there that if I really analyze it, I could, I could see it, you know, I could, I could probably understand it. But I think it's still interesting that then there becomes this guilt of taking time off. Like, I, for some reason, I shouldn't enjoy the weekend. I don't know. It's just weird. It's just, no, but I think you're talking about an important values conflict. For example, in the U.S., we have a strong bias for action. But if we were living in Italy, where they they can also be productive, very productive, and create beautiful things, there is a strong bias for weekends off, for meals together, for delicious food. And we sort of have it that 
oh, the chefs get delicious food, but we can't have that every day, which of course we can. And so part of what I hope to communicate to people is when people have done studies and organizations, they have found that the most productive people do rest. The most productive people step away from their desks, eat lunch outside, although yeah. here we are in the pandemic. You can't eat outside. Can That's great. <laughs> until winter, lunch outside. So we, we, we need to learn how to set those boundaries. And it's, these are little practices, like my practice every hour or so is to write down the next three things I'm going to do on a sticky note and focus on those things, knowing full well, the other thing of that is I set a timer on my phone because I know my brain I will find other things to do than the next three things. So my timer goes off every 10 minutes and every once in a while I look up and say, how did I get here? <laughs> so that's my brain. And I right. go back to my next three things. And yeah. I wrote my book. So writing a book, you have to do this every day. While I was homeschooling my son, leading the renovations on our house, helping him prep for his bar mitzvah mm -hmm. and keeping myself in relatively good shape as well as being the one in charge of all our food and food prep. But I could do that because I use these tools. Mm -hmm. So are your next three things different or do you like finish them and then you have the next three things or do they like carry over if they don't get finished? Like, how does that work? So let's say today, my next three things after this podcast is to spend 20 min minutes, 20 minutes working on my next Excellent. book. That's right. it. 20 minutes. Then I also have to send out an announcement for a course I'm doing on my book. That will take 20 minutes. And then the final of my next three things actually is to debrief this podcast and make sure I make notes that go into my, I have a learning notebook. What am I learning? Because oh. I'm always learning. And that's my next hour. At the end of that hour, then I will create a new set of next three things based on the goals I set for my day and my week. Oh, I love that. And you have a phone or you have a timer. So it keeps you on my, track. My timer goes off every 10 minutes. Cause even though I'm doing 20 minutes, say on my book, if I am writing my book and reading a, going to a link, my book is called get food on the table without making such a mess in the kitchen and on the planet. Well, cool. yeah, I can yeah. lose myself in research very quickly. So yeah. my timer goes off and I discover I'm reading about um, industrial agriculture. This I'm is sorry. a great, that's a great lesson too, <laughs> Nikki. I mean, just like we're, we're big fans of just Pomodoro and taking, you know, timed breaks and that kind of a thing. But the whole idea of setting, uh, of, of having that timer just automatically ping you every 10 minutes just to say, hey, we need to reset your context in space and time. Right here. You are here now. Exactly. Look around and make sure you're still here now. Yes. And I want to talk about shame for a minute because yes. I'm sitting here thinking, wait a second, Marilyn, you're telling people 
the details of your life. I have a PhD from Yale. I've worked all over the world. I consult to all kinds of organizations. And now I'm revealing something about my brain that tells me I have to set a timer every 10 minutes. Like, whoa. But I'm telling you, one, to reduce my own shame about it. Two, this is my brain. I I have to work with it. I don't have my husband's brain. My husband can sit down at his desk at 9 a.m. and he gets up for lunch, has his lunch, and goes back. (laughs) He's not setting timers or writing Mm -hmm. his next three things. Yeah. He works. Right. But you know what's so wonderful about that is that there's such a beauty uh, or such a beautiful statement around acceptance with what you're saying. I've accepted, you know, this is how my brain works. This is what I need. These are the tools I need. There is no shame in that. It doesn't make your husband any better of a worker than you are. You know, it's, it's you, both of you work the way that you need to work. And I I think that's definitely one of the messages that Pete and I try to, to, um, let our listeners know is that you don't have to do it the way somebody else does it. You don't have to be like another ADHD or, or neurotypical. It's all about what works for you and, and accepting that and, and knowing that that's great. That's beautiful. I mean, it, it doesn't have to look the same. We don't want it to look the same. And I, I just think that's a great example of that when you were saying that. If you don't take ownership of your brain, who will, right? <laughs> I wonder when did you yeah. start doing the micro timers? When did you start? When did you learn that that was how your brain worked? Oh, years and years ago. I mean, well, before smartphones, I had a little timer, wonderful timer. I have a whole thing on timers in my first book. It's hard to make a difference when you can't find your keys because um, I. I found this out, I don't know, 20 years ago. I could really see that I, I, I have an interesting brain. But I want to say a word about what, this whole thing. We're all different and he's not more productive necessarily. It's work for me still to accept the way I am. I'm not neurotypical. And to get through school and graduate school and feel good about ourselves. Our learning style, our learning approach is something that I still do affirmations. I set my timer. I appreciate myself. And one of my new tools that I just learned is to imagine my friends and colleagues cheering me on. Like just, I have a cheering squad because if I make a mistake, I am so quick to beat myself up. So even if I make a mistake, my cheering squad is get up, keep going. I don't know if you've ever been to a marathon. Have you ever visited a marathon? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you know how they're running and there's cheering Mm -hmm. in the street. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's I imagine that. That's great. I love that. I love that. I have a question for you. So on this day off, you had mentioned taking, uh, a 24 hour break yeah. from, I believe I read it in your book and you may have said it, electronics devices. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's hard. <laughs> yeah. And I want to temper that because it, if we're going somewhere, I do turn on our GPS 
if I need to meet someone, I don't mind texting back and forth. I am not an Orthodox Jewish woman. I, but I, I find that if I put my device, if I block it or put it away, that it, I actually, it restores my mind to the present situation. So I prefer not to turn on my devices. If I have to, I will. It's not hard and fast. Right, right. So I've always wanted to do that. (laughs) I've always thought it would be a great idea. And I will, I'm not addicted to my phone in the sense that I always have to have it on me. In fact, a lot of people try to call me or text me and I'm not looking at it on the weekend. But there still is, you know, this pull to check it. Um, And I still feel like for me, it's easy to take a day off. But for the people who that's not easy for, and maybe the phone isn't as easy for them to to walk away from, except for like what we're talking about with texting, if you're meeting someone and such, where does a person start? Like, how do you get into that mindset that this could save my life? This really will increase my productivity. I mean, we can tell it to them, but how do they really start believing it? So the whole idea, I started very slowly. I I was in graduate school. I was invited to a Shabbat dinner. That's a Friday night meal. I turned it down three or four times. No, I'm too busy to take an evening off. But a friend said, no, you've got to come. And I went to this meal. And the reason I'm mentioning that is it was it was not long. It was a couple of hours. I did not know what was going on. I did not want to be there. Mm. But something happened where I recognized relaxation together. And I went home and went back to work. So the way to start, I think, in my experience, and now I've just talked to and coached hundreds of people, is to find one small thing that you love. And I would say preferably with others, but it doesn't have to be. It might be playing with your cat or dog or going to a local park or beach and just set aside an hour or two without your device and see what happens. Mm. What is that like for you? But bound it. One of the things I've learned is you have a begin time and an end time. And when you're in your time off, really savor. And the other thing I will say is this takes practice. Setting aside our to-do list, and I think just as important as setting aside our device, it's not just setting aside our to-do list, but setting aside the haunt list. The haunt oh. list are, is all those things we haven't gotten to, those yeah. thank you notes for our wedding 10 years ago. Right. I mean, all of us. Did you, did you make that up, Marilyn? Did you, where does the, I've never heard that before. And it just, it just hit me right here. Yeah. That term. I'm going to live with that. What, is that yours? That, I was working with a client who, she said, Marilyn, I can put down my phone. I can put down my to-do list. But then there's my hot list that comes <laughs> oh. with me 
when I watch a movie, when I'm cooking yes. something, my heart list. So we talked about how yeah. do you even put down your heart list? It's amazing. Yeah. That term is fantastic. Yeah. Welcome to the title of the podcast. That's right. Uh, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> Uh, so our our great appreciation to your client. <laughs> How do we turn yes. to this other world, which is right there? Right. Yeah. It's right here. Mm-hmm. How do we turn to connection with self, other, and our higher power? Mm-hmm. How do we look at the leaves, not as something to sweep up or to blow off our deck or patio, But how do we see the patterns? How do we be grateful? And that's where I think ritual comes in. Even a little ritual, like lighting a candle or turning on music or putting a special shirt on or spraying ourselves with some perfume. Just something to interrupt interrupt the feeling that there is always something to do. Here is the thing. There is always something to do. Right. And to live the kind of lives that we want to live, there is also a way to be. Now, when we're not accomplishing, when we're not trying to get anything done, there is still playing there's reflecting, there's enjoying, there's reading, there's dancing, there's delighting, there is appreciating, Mm -hmm. there is being grateful. There are all these other things we can do that are more in the being mode, but we need to practice them. I have a yoga friend who does her yoga like she does her to-do list. Now I'm going to improve my downward dog. Up, down, down. She's always counting, always. Well, let's do our yoga for an hour with just inquiry, Mm -hmm. just renewing, just, oh, that's interesting. I can't do that today. What is that? Not now I'm going to do it. So we, we change our mindset. Right. You know, something that has happened to to me, and it just happened the other day when my daughter and I were driving, there was this beautiful sunset um, Saturday night. It was breathtaking. And we both were just like, that is so beautiful. That is so beautiful. And uh, it brings, it brought both of us sort of just a sense of peace. Yeah. That everything in the world can be kind of chaotic. But when you look at the sunset and you see the beauty of the co- colors and, and, uh, it, it, it's just, it just sends, you know, it just gives you peace. Like, okay, it's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. Yeah. There's, there's bigger things, yeah. uh, than Beautiful. just everything that we're dealing with right now. There's bigger things. Beautiful. That sense of awe that we're small, the world is big, and the world has a certain kind of order mm-hmm. that we don't understand the mystery, the miracle of it all, then we can just relax. Oh, I love this. That's, it's I could talk wonderful. to you all day long. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> uh, Marilyn, this is fantastic. Thank you for joining us today. We so appreciate it. We, we've talked in circles sort of around your books, but where, where would you like people to go to learn more about the work you're doing and uh, 
where they can pick so i'll just mention that my first book is for those of us who struggle with organization and overwhelm and it's called it's hard to make a difference when you can't find your keys mm, that sold out almost two hundred thousand copies wow my second book is an oasis in time how a day of rest can save your life you can find both books on amazon in your library i just want to make a plug even though we have to pay more for independent bookshops. If you want one of my books, please go to your local bookstore, support them. Even if you don't buy all your books there, they need us. We need them. And um, I also go to my website, marilynpaul.com. I give courses. I'm giving a webinar on tech mastery, how to take back your mind, take back your life. I'm doing a workshop with Jane actually on productivity partnerships, how to build much more support into our lives. And I'm also giving a class on an oasis in time. That's Jane, Jane Massengill. Yeah. Friend of the show. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Oh, well, I hope you come back. I'd love to come back. Please. So much to talk about. Yes, there Clearly. is. I'd like to have you and Jane come back and talk about this productivity relationship. That's an interesting yeah. thing. Is it like a, a body double, like a check-in accountability? Or what is it that you guys do? It starts with setting, um, meeting up, mm-hmm. having a pattern where we set goals and focus mm-hmm. on what's important. Then we check back in. Did you do it? What got in your way? What did you learn? All day long. That's great. Wow, that's, that's great. Well, thank you so much. It's been a it's pleasure. This was great. Thank you so for great. having me. And thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to this show. We so appreciate your time and your attention. On behalf of Marilyn Paul and Nikki Kinzer, I'm Pete Wright, and we'll catch you next week right here on Taking Control, the ADHD podcast. <laughs>